0: thank you for your obedience, obedience to death on a cross. We pray that Holy Spirit you'd keep that at the forefront of our minds this morning as we hear from your word. We pray for Pastor Rick that you give him a boldness to speak as he ought to speak, give him wisdom, help us to have ears to hear eyes to see, hearts to feel what you want us to feel, Lord, and then hands and feet to do what you want us to do. So we just thank you for your word. We thank you for Pastor Rick, and we pray all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Some of you have heard Jonah. Jonah is a story that just about everybody has heard. It's a favorite story of our children, but it's so much more than a child's tale. Many feel it might even be an allegory, but actually, when Jesus was here on this planet and and he walked and he taught, he, he didn't think Jonah was an allegory. He talked about Jonah being in the belly of the big fish, the whale. For at least three days. Many think, Jonah and the big fish. But should we really just think about the fish? You know, there's lots of supporting cast, including a worm, which we're going to find out eventually. This book, literally, is about the character of God, And over these past three weeks, as I'm thinking about God, what is it that you want me to focus on, that you want me to talk about? And over and over, I kept coming back to Jonah, and I was reading through it, and thought out of all the times to talk about the character of God, this would be a good time. The times are chaotic. The future looks again bleak. What happens? What do we need to do as, as believers? We need to understand God better. We need to see God better. So Jonah, Jonah shows us something of God's burning holiness something of his powerful and detailed ordering of events, and something of his tender love, his mercy, and his grace. This is not a book with cold facts about God, as if it were a textbook on theology. It's a didactic work, given so each one of us might be able to learn, learn about God and learn learn how to live underneath his reign. You know, we will see truths about God emerge as Jonah's plot unravels. Over the next few months, we'll focus on God, especially on his relentless love, mercy, and grace. But very interesting, we're also going to address things like racism, hypocrisy, and religious self-righteous. You know, if you've been around this church for very long, you hear us talk much about God's grace, about God's love, about God's mercy. It's hard to believe if we understand, well, what sin does to God and does to us. How each one of us Well, are born sinful, and each one of us are separated because of our sin, and that God desires deeply to have a relationship with us. So over and over again, God lets us know how much He loves us. In fact, His Son went to the cross. His Son spread His arms. His Son spilt His blood so that well, our debt for sin might be paid. It's called the good news. It's called the gospel. It's all about God's love and grace and mercy. In fact, in just a little bit, we're going to celebrate Christ's death. And even that seems odd. You celebrate a death. But we celebrate how much God loves us and how grateful we are to be beneficiaries of his mercy. This is available to everybody. God's grace is available to all. You can become a son and a daughter of God right now by putting your faith and trust in what Christ did on the cross. That's good news. And that's what we love talking about. But we're going to be looking at Jonah we understand (laughs) the story of Jonah is crazy. It's really hard to imagine. And if you begin reading in Jonah, it's really a very, very short book. So if we're going to learn, we're going to have to understand the context. We won't spend a lot of time here, but it really is important as we kind of open up God's Word this morning. Jonah was called a prophet. Well, if you're unfamiliar with that, a prophet was God's person who would, he would use to proclaim his messages to his people. If God wanted to share something, especially with the Hebrews, he would appoint a prophet. He would give them his words. And this prophet would proclaim God's word to the people. Well, Jonah was a prophet to Israel. It's the northern ten tribes. It's the tribes that realistically were a bit more evil than, well, Judah, the southern two tribes. But the king at this time, his name was King Jeroboam. And the Bible tells us that Jeroboam was extremely evil. He just basically didn't listen to God. He basically flaunted his liberty And thought he didn't need to pay attention to God. He ruled about 28 years from 782 B.C. to 754 B.C. Well, because Jeroboam was evil, most of Israel was evil. Just followed his lead. So, that basically meant the whole country was not following God very well. This was the time that Jonah was a prophet, okay? But what's so unusual, in spite of their, well, actions, in spite of their unrepentant attitudes, God's mercy was still there. In fact, Israel was growing in power and the borders were expanding just as Jonah, the prophet, basically Foretold. In 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, I'm going to read this text to you. It gives us just a little bit of background about Jonah. But here's what 2 Kings 14, 25 says. Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between Labamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, the son of Amittai the prophet from Geth-Hefer. So Jonah was around. Jonah gave this, well, prophecy to the king and said, hey, I just want you to know, God's going to allow you to expand the territory. God's going to bless you. God's going to be with your army. And so realistically, if you get that kind of news, that prophet's pretty popular. So Jonah wasn't treated like other prophets. Most other prophets, well, they were told to condemn the sin and the rebellion of that nation. Jonah, at least as far as we know, was only given this one prophecy. So Jonah was a successful prophet, but not because he was a good man, but because God was a merciful God. You know, it's been my privilege for the last few weeks to be able to uh, dig into this book, to, uh, I guess, read some scholars, Keller and Mackrell and other scholars that understand the language and understand the context. I think we're in for an amazing ride over these next few weeks. So let's pray before we go verse by verse through this amazing book. Father, we do come before you. You you are our Heavenly Father. You are a God of compassion and mercy. You are slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Your ways are perfect and your actions are just. The book we're about to open, Lord, is going to puzzle us at times. And yet this is going to become clearer and clearer. You are a God of miracles. You created the heavens and the earth by the very words of your mouth. There was a flood that encompassed the whole earth. Your people walked through the Red Sea on dry land. You fed 5,000 from a few loaves and fish. You gave the blind sight and allowed the lame to walk. And today, Father, in this book, we're going to focus on another miracle, a miracle that, well, doesn't make sense to us again, a fish swallowing a man. We pray even this morning, Father, you would open our eyes because this story really is familiar. Would you open our eyes to your love, to your mercy, to your grace? I ask you right now, Father, that you would change me, change us from the inside out. That you would transform us by the power of your spirit. That your word would be alive and active. And that we would respond. We cry out to you this morning, not only for you to reveal yourself to us, but to act. Our world needs a Savior. Our country needs to be rescued. You alone, Father, are our hope. We pray for this community. We pray for this country. We pray for our world. I ask you to encourage your flock and to draw people to yourself. Even this day, we pray for the church. The church that is meeting all over. Worshiping and adoring you. Specifically, Father, we pray for Connection Church and Fox Lake Community Church and Meadowland Church. We pray for those pastors and we pray for those folks in the congregation that you would strengthen them and help them be light and salt. We pray for our flock, Father, those who are right here in the house and for those who are online. We ask you, dear Father, that you would do a work in them. We thank you for the times this past week we were able to gather. Our Awana Ministries, well, they began. We had kids and leaders and parents here, Father, and we thank you that they were able to meet and ask for wisdom as they continue to develop. What's best? We thank you for the gathering of men, both at the retreat up north and at the barbecue last, last night. We thank you, Father, that men were able to gather and be able to be encouraged, and strengthened. Father, we pray for all the groups that are meeting and the new groups that are forming and the communities that are starting. Oh, God, we, we know that in many ways we're starting new. We don't actually know what protocols we need to, well, Ask. So give us wisdom, Father. Help us all grow in our faith. Use your word in our lives, even this morning. We pray, Father, that you would be glorified. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn your Bibles with me to Jonah? It's just a small book. You might have to look in the index to be able to get it, but if you don't have a Bible or you uh, don't want to find it on your flat screen, you can look up at the screen behind me, and we're going to start off focusing on four verses today. Jonah chapter 1, starting at verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked the people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leading for Tarshish. I've been practicing all week. Tarshish. All right. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Let's go back just to verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. It might not mean much to you as you look at that, but... (laughs) This is a common Hebrew phrase used when God spoke directly to a prophet. Some of your translations might say the word of the Lord came or the message came. It was something, again, that every prophet understood and said, hey, God, you're talking to me. I understand this. It occurred over a hundred times in the Old Testament. This book literally opens and closes with God talking directly to Jonah. Now God speaks just as directly and powerfully today through his word. Is He focusing on God's clear principles guide us in life. We sometimes wonder, Father, where do I need to move? What job do I need to get? Who do I need to marry? How much, and you ask these questions, you say, it would be so easy if just, even just in the mornings. Hey, Lord, if you just, you know, write me an email. (laughs) Just do it. it. It would be awesome, and I'll listen a lot better. Well, God's given us his word, and as we open it up, there are so many specific things that God expects us to do. My guess is, as we listen to God's specific word, he gives us specific uh, directions. And so sometimes we focus on, well, what to do today. And God says, hey, listen to me, I'll guide you, I'll direct you. His word is alive. And his word is to be obeyed without hesitation. One of the beautiful parts of Psalm 23 when we read about the Good Shepherd, all right? He says, I will guide you on right paths, which will bring honor to his name. It's a promise. As we walk with our shepherd, as we listen to our shepherd, he guides us. Now, I also want to make sure sometimes we throw Jonah underneath the bus here, but Jonah had a relationship with God. He was a prophet, God had been talking to him. He's not some guy that just kind of decided, hey, okay. Uh, no, he knew about God. And this prophet knew. What should happen when he heard from God? Let's look at verse 2. God says this. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. So, (laughs) realistically, he says... Get up and go. Nineveh at this moment, well, it's a prominent city. It had great status in the nation of Assyria. It was about 500 miles east of Israel. If you have any kind of geography in your head, it would probably be located in modern Iraq right now. But Nineveh, just to be clear, was Israel's enemy, And it was exceedingly wicked. Not sort of wicked. Not kind of every once in a while going out of bounds. But living out of bounds. Nineveh was known for its military strength and its security. Her walls were 100 feet in height, 10 stories high. And overshadowing the walls were 1,500 watchtowers, some 200 feet in height. If you just came upon this city, your breath would be taken away. It was humongous, it was powerful, it was safe, and it was wicked. God says, get up, Jonah, And go announce my judgment against it. Because I've seen how wicked the people are. Now again, you can look through the scriptures. But this is very odd. That God is sending a prophet to Nineveh. Or sending a prophet somewhere that wasn't to Israel. Or Judah. Now here's a double imperative. It emphasizes its urgency. Jonah, don't take your time. There's a pagan city, and you need to go tell them that I'm going to judge them. But listen to this. But God's directive offended Jonah. Think about that. We're going to go a little deeper in a moment. But he heard from God... And he was ticked. He heard from God and he didn't like what God was saying. I don't know how many times you've opened up this word. And you've asked God to teach you, to reveal something to you. And you read a text. And you get offended. Now now again, maybe you don't go the opposite direction and buy a ticket to Tarshish. But we may be acting that way at times. Look at verse 3. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket, went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. You know, Jonah actually partially obeyed. He got up. He did. Hey, God, okay, it's time to move. I'm just not going to move in your direction. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go down to Joppa, and I'm going to find a ship. I'm going to find a ship, and I'm going to go 2,000 miles away from this place. He's hoping to escape from God. And you ask why? I mean, were these words so hard? Well, you got to remember for one thing Jonah's deep hatred for the cruel and idolatrous nation of Assyria. We're not going to go into a whole lot of detail right here, but this land was known for its ruthless behavior. They didn't just conquer nations. They literally skinned them alive at times. It was an ugly place. But the real reason that Jonah didn't want to go, and I want you to turn your Bibles, if you have them open, to Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Now, normally we wouldn't jump way ahead. But most of you guys, really, you do know this story. So I'm not, it, this is not a spoiler alert, okay? But in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, he knew God would forgive them if they repented. And Jonah wanted justice. He wanted these rascals fried. He wanted lightning. He wanted Sodom and Gomorrah. He wanted fire and brimstone to come down on them. But this is what Jonah says, chapter 4, verse 2. Talking to God. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. In fact, the Hebrew word right here literally means you are eager to relent. To relent. From destroying people. And that's where the title of this series comes. I don't like when you're relentless, God. I don't like when you love and show mercy and grace to people who are so evil. If I want to just say it bluntly, it's this. Jonah knew God, but he didn't like how God ran the world. (laughs) I mean, aren't we in that same boat sometimes? Aren't we? Hey, God, I trust you, God. I know you're in charge, but holy cats, do you know what's going on here? God smiles and says, uh, actually, I do. Thank you for asking, Rick. All right? Jonah had to learn that God's mercy is neither handed out nor withheld according to a scale measuring how deserving or undeserving an individual or a nation might be. Jonah did not want God's love or mercy to be extended to, uh, well, those folks outside the community of faith, especially given to people that don't deserve it. Now, remember, when Jonah's thinking this way, he is thinking he deserves it. And this is where it becomes ironic. We're going to get into that. But Jonah was not happy with God loving Israel's enemies. He arrogantly thought he was smarter than God. He was actually self righteous and racist at this moment. He felt superior to the Assyrians, both morally and religiously. So Jonah quit. He ran. All right? Most commentators right here would say Jonah is actually resigning his commission. He says, I'm done. I'm taking off the prophet badge. I'm not going to be your prophet anymore. I don't want to be able to obey you. You don't get it, God. I am leaving. Now, he had to know, because, again, he was a prophet, that he couldn't literally escape God's presence. He had to know God was everywhere. He's going to say it in just a little bit, that he's the God who created the heavens and the earth. He's the one who created the land and the sea. He knew about God. There's an interesting Hebrew term right here. And it's not, I don't think, in any of the translations that I I looked at. But literally what he's saying, he's trying to get away from the face of God. He knew he wasn't going to get away from the presence of God because he's everywhere. But the idea is this. God, I don't want you looking at me anymore. God, I I don't want a relationship with you. I don't want to see you. So I am going to run. He is running from God's influence. He is running from God's face. And before we judge him too much, it's exactly what we do so much of the time. I I don't want to open up this this morning, Lord. I'm mad at you, God. I don't like how my life is ending up. I don't like... God, how come you're blessing my neighbor? You know he just got a new boat. He does not love you at all. In fact, you know what he does on Sunday mornings? Ha, <laughs> ha, And you gave him a boat. What is all that about? You see, running from God's influence, from God's faith is a reality. God's word didn't make sense to Jonah. And actually, it might even be suicide if he listens. Imagine this. If you lived in the 1940s, and God said, I would like you to go to Berlin, and I would like you to preach how evil the Nazi regime is, and I want to make sure that you let everybody know they need to repent. Now, if you know anything about history, things probably wouldn't have gone well for you. Just let you know, all right? It would be almost suicide. And I don't think this was so much different than what Jonah was thinking. Out of all the peoples in the world, Lord, are you serious? Do you realize they skin people alive? I'm I, I, no, I, I'm 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 done listening to you, God. To Jonah, God's word seemed illogical and flawed. Therefore, he ran. Jonah heard God's marching orders and made a decision. Listen carefully to this. My way is better. This shows us literally how immature his relationship with God really is. Let me say that again. This shows how immature his relationship with God really is. Let me try to illustrate this way. Soldiers go into boot camp in order to learn how to take orders and accept authority before being deployed. In an army, generals strategize and send their orders down the line. Now let's face it, if you're a private and you're in a platoon and you're in an infantry unit, it would be really nice... If the general would visit your camp and gather the platoons around and and maybe even go into each tent. Uh, By the way, John, I I just want you to know, these are all the things that are happening. We're going to have some uh, artillery cover. We're going to have some of the special forces go in this direction. But we really need your platoon to go and draw the fire. If you don't do this, all the other soldiers are not going to be able to, well, make the impact that we hope that it's going to make. Now, granted, every soldier I know would probably like to know that. Well, thanks, General. This is cool. And I just want you to know, why don't you write that letter to Mom? You might not make it. Oh, okay, okay, General. I I see, though, this is really good. I'll listen to you. I'm going to obey you. That's not how it happens. Platoons are simply given orders and await the signal. And the signal is charge! Charge! Every soldier takes refuge in the record and the character of the general. They are confident that the general understands the situation and will do what is best. Soldiers just simply do their part, they trust the leadership and they charge. Now, now let me remind you: millions have followed human and flawed generals into battle, trusting their record and character. Even though that might be suspect at times. Let me put this in perspective. Jonah. Jonah heard the charge from the God of gods, the king of kings, and in spite of the Almighty's record and character, he ran away. Now, many of you know the story of Abraham. His story is found in Genesis chapter 12, verse 22. You realize that way back in that time, God kind of called Abraham out of his hometown. And he said, hey, Abraham, I've chosen you, and you're going to be the father of a great nation. And I want you to understand. I want you to move. I want you to listen to me. And I'm going to give you a son to start this whole process. Well, if you remember the story, he did not get his son till he was 100 years old. Quite the miracle. And I'm sure at that time, can you imagine this 100-year-old man, his 90-year-old wife, they just have Isaac, and they are jacked. Look at this, look at that. Whoa, whoa. And they're showing him all over, and he's growing up, and this is a grand old day. Until God comes to Abraham. Says, Abraham, I would like you to sacrifice that son, to me. No one knows how Abraham responded emotionally. We know what the Bible says, is that he listened to God. But can, can you imagine? You're over 100 years old right now. God told him, hey, this is going to be the guy. This is the guy. He's going to start it all. And God says, I want you to go kill him. Oh, the sacrifice in his son didn't make sense. But what I do know is this, and it was so opposite than Jonah. Abraham trusted the record and the character of God. And he obeyed. In fact, the author of Hebrews talks a little bit about this in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. This is what the author says. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Even though God had told him Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. How different. How different it is for a man or a woman that understands their God. And even in spite of not understanding his commands, not understanding what he's asking them to do, in fact, feeling like it's a suicide mission, Jonah runs, and Abraham obeys. Wow. Look at Jonah, chapter 1, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Jonah sinned. Jonah disobeyed God. And God responded with grace. He sent a storm. (laughs) Wait a minute. We're going to talk about this next week, all right? We're going to talk about how storms really reveal God's grace for his people. But if we can just look at this, this whole book, the whole book of Jonah is about sin and about grace. Sin is running from God. It is. It's being a fugitive. It's not trusting his character. Grace. Listen to this definition. It's God chasing after us. It's God hunting us down before we destroy ourselves and those around us. Just a few takeaways before we continue to worship. God's love and mercy and grace is relentless. You are going to be shocked every time we meet. It does not make sense. Why God does this blows us away. Why he extends grace and mercy and love to his family, even if they're rebelling. Why he extends love and mercy and grace to those not of faith, desiring deeply that they would understand how wonderful life with God is and what kind of a future it offers you. Why God does this, it's going to blow your mind away. We also have to recognize that God's word is filled with charge or charges. They are given graciously to be obeyed. We don't understand them all the time. It doesn't make sense in this culture. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't. And and we can just fill in the blank. But God says, "I, I made you. I love you. I know what the future is. I want you to listen to me. You will find life abundant if you do. You see, disobedience for any child of God is the epitome of arrogance. Let me say that again. Disobedience, anything, is the epitome of arrogance. Because literally what we are saying is, I know more than you, God. I don't like the suicide mission, God. I think I'm going to miss out, God. And God shakes his head because he knows what disobedience does. You see, grace, when he extends grace, grace always means salvation. But there are times when discipline is grace given by God because of the pathway that you're going, because of the pathway I'm going. And he says, No, 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 no. Do you understand what will happen if you continue to do this? Oh, I want you to experience life, my friend. So he'll discipline. And we'll see more of that in Jonah. But he also wants to bless. He does. Let me say it this way Every one of us, me included, I can find a ship at any time to run away from God. I can, and so can you. We can. It won't go well. (laughs) And we're going to see that. It really comes down to trusting the record and the character of God, which means this. If you're newer to faith, or you're even exploring that, You may have a blurry view of who God is. Maybe you've walked with God for a long time and sometimes circumstances fog up God. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you have an opportunity for ah, a realignment. For us to see who God is. You'll never, ever regret it. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And a worship team's going to come up and we're going to worship. But, but realistically, in, in the middle of our worship, Brendan's going to lead us in communion. A, a time to reflect. And a time to remember. A, a time to evaluate. A time to confess. If there is sin, If you literally, even at this time, say, you know what? I I have been running from God. God, forgive me. Or it may even be as simple as, you know, God, I'm not one of your kids. I need to trust what you did on the cross for me so that I might be able to be forgiven. And I can have a relationship with you. And then we reflect how wonderful and gracious that God is. I think one of my prayers during this series is that some who have walked with God for a long time see fresh God's love and mercy and grace. Maybe there's some tears. You're just so overwhelmed that someone loves you so much that they died in your place so you could be redeemed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your love. God, it's so easy to put Jonah in a, in a box. It's so easy to see other people's flaws. It's so easy, God, just to, well... Put this in the category of kid's tale. But God, you gave this to us so that we might be able to see you better. Respond to you quicker. God, break our hearts from the inside. Break my heart. Make it softer. We love you, Jesus. We do. In your name.